0: Welcome back to the Touchdown Rundown on a Tuesday. Why watch basketball? Like, seriously, why watch basketball tonight? The NBA is just going, going to be another blowout. I'm calling it. Warriors are going to get the sweep over the Mavericks. So come talk football with us, a sport where I don't think we had a lot of blowouts in the playoffs besides the Patriots and the Bills, which is our first topic today. Look at that. My transition game is on point. So let's go to the AFC East first, Tony. Of the four teams, you know, which of them
1: interests you the most? Ooh. That's kind of a tough one. I There's been a lot of off-season moves. There's a lot of team changes. There's a lot of things that have happened. But I think we got to be honest with ourselves, Tom. The Bills are still going to be the most dominant team in this division, right? Yeah, no, for sure. So maybe
0: not the most interesting because they're going to be so dominant, but Zelo currently has them as a favorite to win the division with a 71% chance of capturing their division. So not only is that just an absurdly high number, basically, that's – you know, kind of makes me nervous as the creator of Zillow. It's the highest in the NFL for a team to win their division. Essentially, Zelo's kind of like, the Patriots backslid a little. The Dolphins definitely improved and should be a playoff team. But beyond that, like, it's Bills, Bills, Bills.
1: Understandably so. I mean, there's if we look at all the different teams, I think that even though the Jets had a great draft, they had a pretty decent offseason overall, they're still not going to be any kind of an elite team. They're not going to break five hundred. I don't think. Uh, the dolphins have definitely made huge improvements do we think that the dolphins and the patriots might flip flop and go dolphins at 2 patriots at 3 or do we do we think the dolphins haven't quite improved that much just yet i'm actually
0: so the dolphins are a concerning team right because they have a new head coach that new head coach you know he comes from the Kyle Shanahan tree the the Matt LaFleur tree so his focus is going to be offense, right? And the Dolphins, when they, they started off the year terribly, I think they went 1-7 in and, and then went 7-1. And, and that was because they had such an uh, incredible defensive performance in the second half of the season when Brian Flores really just kind of took control of the defense, took over. And, I mean, I think their they're coming out party to the NFL world was when they just shut down the Ravens on, what was it, Tony, a Thursday night game? I believe so. It was like a big, well-viewed game. Yeah, so what concerns me is that I don't know what to make of the Dolphins' defense now because it was one of the worst units in the league for the first half of the season and then one of the best units in the league for the first half of the season. I mean, the second half of the season. And so I don't know how that defense is going to turn out. I really just don't have any idea. But I do anticipate the offense getting better, not just because of Hill, but because I like this coach. I think he's going to do better with the scheme. I don't think it's just going to be a bunch of RPOs, thrown all over the place and that's you know I feel like as good as Tua was at RPOs and I think he's one of the best in the NFL by QBR RPOs I think that that just limits the offense too much and makes it too predictable
1: yeah and that is definitely an interesting uh, observation I'm really really excited to see what this offense is capable of doing and as everybody's kind of knows about when has talked about Tyree Hill is the most flashy addition that the team made uh, over the offseason and everybody kind of talks about how Tyreek Hill is so fast and he's going to really change that offense. And I actually have a bit of a hot take, Tom. Are you ready? You know what?
0: It was a hot day, so I'm going to sip on my iced tea while you serve up a really hot take.
1: All right. I think Tyreek Hill might actually not be the fastest player on this team. <clears throat> oh, man. Now I, got, I got I got iced tea over my computer. I was too hot of a take. It was too hot. Of, well, here, let, let's make it a little hotter. I don't think he's second. I actually think he might be <clears throat> on his own team. <clears throat> oh, my God. I need to stop taking sips
0: of my tea. Good God. Okay. Woo! I think I – you know what? I have iced tea right now, but that was such a hot take. I think it boiled my tea. Okay. E- explain, please. This is just – this is slander. This is ridiculous. This is the cheetah. This is unrealistic. Just this is – get out of here. Leave. You're not an analyst anymore. You've been demoted.
1: Well, next gen stats actually agrees with me. So, stats, Jalen Waddle recorded the faster speed between the two in the 2021 NFL regular season. Waddle hit 21.8 miles per hour on his longest reception of the season, which was a 57-yard gain against the Carolina Panthers. You know what? Today I'm a Chargers fan. I'm wearing my Chargers hat. You can't get me. All right. Well, fair enough. (laughs) Bills' top speed. Was only twenty one point four two miles per hour, so it was only point three eight miles per hour slower, and that was on a thirty three yard run against the Dallas Cowboys. So Jalen hmm. Waddle at top speed, full tilt, out of all of the runs they had, but last year both of them respectively, Waddle was slightly faster. So it can be argued that Waddle is faster. Now that's one. Now who is the other person that could possibly be faster than the cheetah? Well, actually. I think there could be a guy that's faster than both of them. San Frins, former San Francisco 49ers running back Raheem Mostert is now a Miami Dolphin. That was a uh, an acquisition that was made over this offseason. Didn't get as much credit as I thought it should. Mm-hmm. I think that he is extremely talented. He is very fast. He actually reached in 2020 the fastest two speeds in the NFL of anybody that year. He, re- he recorded a 23.09 mile per hour run on a 80-yard touchdown, and then a 22.73 mile per hour run on a 76-yard touchdown. So last year, he was also in the mix. I think he had one or two of the top five spots, if I remember correctly, but it could be a very, very fast offense in Miami with how many elite speed guys that they have acquired. And I am starting to think that they must believe in Tua a whole lot and his throwing ability if they're picking up this many guys that are full tilt, no pun intended, on speed.
0: I was going to say, like, that's I don't know if that's good or not for Tua, one of the quarterbacks who has kind of famously really struggled with depth. In fact, a few weeks ago, um, there was a clip that the Dolphins tweeted out of, of of Tua throwing to Hill. And so it's Tua stepping back, you know, snaps the ball, and it's a beautiful arc. And then it kind of starts to to wiggle a little bit. It loses the spiral, loses its tightness. It's not a perfectly placed ball. And Hill is sitting there waiting for it because it's like the Flash, where he's just sitting there bored waiting for the ball. And so, do you think that's going to impact Tua negatively?
1: Well, it's really going to depend on how Tua is able to kind of adjust. Because, like as you talked about last year with their coaching and their offensive scheming, they played a lot of RPOs and. those of you who don't know those are run pass options and it's basically when you snap the ball and you kind of the quarterback will make the read on they have the chance the the opportunity to if they think the defense is you know in this way they'll run it and if they think it's the other way then they'll throw it and they can kind of make that um that snap call on the line and normally an rpo if you snap it and you don't run it it's kind of a little bit of a softer pass a little bit shorter Not necessarily like, you know, dink and dunk behind the line of scrimmage, but it's not really, you're not really running like a a Hail Mary four verticals kind of a pass off of this. So
0: it should be done right really quickly.
1: Yes, it should be a very, very fast pass, kind of very Tom Brady esque, if you will, like maybe a five, seven yard slant route. This is going to be a very different kind of offense this season because if you're going to sign these guys that are so fast, their real almost specialty area is going to be what 25 35 40 yards downfield when they can get enough time to burn the guy covering them so Tua's really going to have to be able to throw I don't know I'd say reasonably he's going to have to throw a pretty accurate 45 50 plus yard ball fairly often in a lot of these games That's, that has to be what the offense is going to run if they've signed this many fast guys
0: Yeah, no, I mean, you know, you would imagine that these are going to be regular, you know, fairly deep balls. I mean, look, the the Dolphins, I think arguably one of their you know, their best passing weapons was Mike Giseki, which is a tight end. Obviously not the fastest moving player on the field, so I think that it's going to be obviously a very different offense. Now, granted, you know, because it's the Kyle Shanahan school, I expect you know, and it's it's why I believe I believe their new the new head coach Came from San Francisco, which is why I would imagine Raheem Mostert then followed him to Miami. So part of me thinks that we're going to see a very Kyle Shanahan offense, so maybe it's not a huge worry about like it's you know, you're not gonna have to expect deep it's not gonna be Mahomesian and almost where it's deep throws every single play. So I feel a little bit more comfortable in that fact. But I definitely am worried about what Tua's future is going to look like.
1: Right. And I do think that you know, on the fact that Raheem Mostert is a very fast individual but he is a running back, so we very well could see a very level offense where you know they're handing off to Raheem Mostert a lot. He's running it down the field. He's really going to have to have a good O line though to protect him and be able to get him into that second level where he can really achieve that speed. And that's kind of the reason why I think they're going to be splitting him out and sending him out for a little bit more targeted balls. Maybe putting him in the slot or or even pushing him out wide on maybe some some kind of weird, crazy, out of the blue Miami. Trick plays or whatever, but I think that this offense is looking more and more like it's gearing up to be a little bit more of a long ball drive the field, explosive play offense, which is something we haven't seen out of Miami in many years.
0: For sure, I mean it's obviously taking a step away from the the, the RPOs. What will be interesting is because they have, I, I think, a really strong wide receiver core. If we're being honest, like it's, I think, very quietly one of the better cores. Um, you know, is Hill going to be as almost ball dominant because in, in Kansas city, it really, I feel like it really was Hill and Kelsey for the most part dropping, you know, catching passes. And in, in the case of Tyree kills, Tony likes to lament dropping them every now and then for an interception. Um, you know, it's just, it it'll be interesting to see if it's a little bit of a more by committee approach, especially because, you know, as if you want to take, if you want to take Tony's scorching hot take that I burnt my tongue on a few minutes ago, um, you know, that he's not actually the fastest player on the team.
1: Yeah, and that's, if I'm being perfectly honest, I think that Tyreek Hill is a solid wide receiver. I think that he's a decent route runner. I think his hands can honestly use some work. Uh, I really hope that he put in some time to that in this offseason. But I think that we all kind of know that his bread and butter is just speed. Like, it's not really a coachable thing. It's not really like a technique so much. It's just he's just faster than everybody else. So if you put him on a team where he's not the fastest anymore— are we going to see him fall off tremendously?
0: I don't think I don't think we're going to see him fall off. I think that Tyreek Hill is going to dictate a lot of coverage to his side of the field and it's going to really open up the the you know the the the, the routes for other guys. Like Waddle, I expect Waddle to have a really big campaign this year just by the fact that he's no longer uh, Gusecki too, just by the fact that you know Waddle isn't the number one wide receiver that teams are going to be scared of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's and he obviously did so well as a rookie, he broke the rookie receiving uh I guess receptions record I should say. I mean that's that is a very, very difficult thing to do, and it's something that a lot of people didn't really think about and give him credit for because of the whole Jamar Chase thing. Which is understandable, Jamar Chase was awesome. But I do think that Jalen Waddle was very slept on last year, and I expect him to have a little bit of a I mean he kind of did already have a breakout year, but a little bit even more of a breakout year this next year. And you're right. Tyreek Kill is going to command a lot of secondaries. He's going to see a lot of attention. So even if he doesn't get the ball thrown his way 15, 20 times a game, he could get the ball thrown zero times his way. He's really going to be the most valuable, I think, in the fact that he can free up other guys.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, it's why I'm expecting like this. There is no excuses for two of this year. Like, not that not the two is listening to this podcast or anything, but like this is you know I'm Tom's Willer sitting in my room. In Michigan, I am put. I am issuing this to Tua. This is it, dude. Like, you're you're kind of done with excuses.
1: <laughs> there's yeah. not a, There's not a lack of weapons. Yeah. For much better.
0: No, there's not going to be a lack of weapons. It's an offensive-minded head coach. They're going. To, I guarantee you, the the Dolphins are going to have a good run game. I think their offensive line is going to improve, if only because it's hard to be <laughs> the second worst. The second worst team, uh, all, all, as far as the offensive line goes, uh, two consecutive years. So I, this is this is it. This is Tua's year. He's kind of out of excuses. I think, granted, he's going to have you know play through the full entirety of his rookie contract, but this really is going to be it.
1: Yep, there's not much he can do after this.
0: Yeah. Now I am. I'm not. I I'm not that worried about Tua. I think that this is if there were going to be a year where he takes an explosive leap, it'll be obviously this year. His bad throw percentage went down from his rookie campaign, so he dropped it down to two percent, so 16.3, which isn't fantastic, but it's still pretty good. and his on target percentage jumped from 80 percent to 74. So if we continue to see growth in those two areas, I'm really excited about the future of TuA. His completion now last year if you go into adjusted passing, which is a metric by pro football reference, his um, so his net yards per attempt. They were; those were slightly under the league average. I expect that to go up. His yards per attempt, I expect that to go up. It was also below average. But his completion percentage was above, uh, b- above average and by a significant margin. Now, here's the thing. I actually expect that to go down because he will be passing deep. So I do expect there to be a learning curve. So if two is like throwing, I don't know, 60% through the first couple of weeks, and it's like, oh, he's, he's down from last year where was so accurate. Expect that. Like, I genuinely expect him to throw a little bit worse as far as that goes because he's going to be doing it so much deeper.
1: Right. It's going to be kind of like the Tom Brady approach. Like, yes, he was very, very elite, and he's a very, really, really good quarterback. Specifically in New England, though, they ran a lot of that shorter stuff. And a lot of that shorter stuff for an NFL-caliber quarterback, even a backup quarterback in the NFL is usually some pretty high percentage stuff it's usually very difficult for a defense to figure that out and figure out how to stop it when that ball's coming out in 1.3 seconds or whatever it was so I do think that Tua did definitely benefit from that and you see that high completion percentage but below average yards per attempt and all that stuff but like you said I expect to almost see that invert he's going to be throwing deeper but with that is going to become is going to come challenges and it's not going to be like we saw in that video where Tua can afford to underthrow it and Tyree can just stand there. If he's being covered, I, that's never going to work.
0: I do think it's not totally fair to say, like, if, I mean, for one thing, like, I believe, remember throwback to when the Browns played the Chiefs and it was one of the most fun and exciting games of the season? Yeah. There was a play where Mahomes did actually underthrow Hill and Hill just m- managed to make the adjustment. So, I mean, you don't want to do that, like, every single play, but it's okay for a couple of those plays, but, like, to conclude with our Tua thoughts on this, because I don't think the, I don't think everybody in the audience came to listen about Tua. Um, if you did, you know, react in the chat and, and we'll keep talking about Tua. We can be, we can be Tua non, um, <laughs> nothing. That wasn't funny. Okay. Um, so, you know, to conclude last season, he had about a 68 completion percentage. And I would say expected to be below 65 for maybe the first couple of games, like expect it to not be great.
1: Yeah,
0: I agree. I'm I'm disappointed to did laugh at Tuanon.
1: It was it I, I was close, I'm not gonna lie. I was I was right there, but I decided I'm uh, gonna be a little
0: Fair enough. Okay, it's a it's a thing on Dolphins Twitter. Trust me. I'm I'm not I'm not crazy. Um okay, so do we wanna talk about how we think the Patriots are going to do? Because Zelo is is not bullish on them. In fact, Zelo had them moving back to third, which I think like granted isn't a huge indictment of the Patriots just because last season they they were in second but I believe it was just a game ahead of the Dolphins and it very easily could have flip-flopped where the Dolphins were in the playoffs I mean it was the Patriots went 10 and 7 there were a couple of weeks where like they had the best record in the AFC and everybody lost their minds but in, in reality they ended up being second and they were only second by a game so it's not particularly crazy to think that they could have backslid because they didn't have a great offseason.
1: Well, and something that longtime listeners to the show know is that I always love to look at the points for and points against for a team over a season to really see how they performed. And something surprising is, even though that the Patriots were only one game ahead of the Miami Dolphins, if you look at their points for and points against, they're actually very, very different. So the New England Patriots, they were points for 462, Points against, 303. That's a plus 159 differential. That's really, really good. Now, if you look at the Miami Dolphins, they only had points for 341. Now, don't forget the Patriots had 462. Points against, they actually had 373. 70 points more than the Patriots. That's a negative 32 net points. So even though this team was only one back from the Patriots, they were starkly different in performance.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. So what I what I think that should tell you about these two teams is that, you know, realistically, not a ton, I think. Like, look, I, I, I think that these teams, for the Dolphins... Tua got hurt for a couple of games. I really do think that that is ultimately the bottom line is to what separated the two records. Like Tua got hurt, I believe, during the middle of that losing streak and it's what extended the losing streak. So I do think that maybe the points, the the point differential is a little bit kind of, kind of muddled there. Um, I, I think it's a good point though. Like you have to, you know, win losses are not the, the end all be all. When the point differential is 159 for the Patriots and negative 32 for the Dolphins, like that matters, right? But, Again, keep you know. I think keep in mind, Tua was hurt during a one in seven streak by the Dolphins, where the Dolphins opened up with their first and only win of the season for the first eight or nine weeks was against uh, the Patriots, I believe, in Week One. Yeah. What I want to what I want to look at is the wide receiver core because we just spent like I don't know fifteen minutes waxing poetics about about how we think that the Dolphins have the potential to be absolutely incredible this season. I want to give you the Zelo numbers. So currently, Zillow has Tyreek Hill as a 74-point wide receiver, which is really good. I'll give you the rankings in a second. And then Jalen Waddell as a Uh, 66.9 wide receiver. So those are two really, really high-caliber wide receivers. And I'll give Tony, because he really likes Raheem Mostert now, think he may need to buy a jersey. He really likes him. He's a 69-point running back, which isn't great as far as running backs go, but I think it's because people are expecting this Dolphins team to be so dominant through the air. Fair enough. So, so what do you think of those numbers, Tony? Because you you've been around Zelo long enough.
1: I am quite, I'm quite a fan of the numbers because I do think that they do show that the Dolphins have a scary core, and it's one that, oddly enough, like you said, I have not heard many people talk about the wide receiving team and the running back team. Like it's pretty much just been Tyreek Hill which is amazing to me because this team does have other amazing pieces that they can rely on. So I think that Tua is going to have a lot of help. Even if it takes a little bit of adjustment period, he has really, really solid guys that he can rely on. If there's a day that he really just cannot pass it for whatever reason, Raheem Mostert is going to be a fantastic guy that he can lean on because I do think that he is kind of primed for a little bit of a, you know, almost breakout year with a new team, new system. hopefully, Uh, new, but the same kind of coaching staff. uh, And it should be really, really beneficial for him. Yeah, no,
0: for sure. I think that it's, I think it's going to be huge. I think that, that, that team is just going to be surrounded by so much talent. So take, so take those numbers that I just told you. So a recap, they were both, I believe, so Tyreek Hill is a 74, Jalen Waddle is a 66.9. And I'll throw in a little bonus, Cedric Wilson is going to be quietly about a 40 point Zelo player, so a solid, a solid like number three option, if you will, on a team where, where I think that they're going to have a lot of options because don't forget Mike, uh, Mike Gisecki is going to be a very good tight end. In fact, I think Zelo is is fairly high on him as a tight end. So I, I again, like you know, they are they are not going to be lacking for weapons on the Dolphins team. Now look at the Patriots, where it's a much, I want. <sighs> grimmer picture tony like what what do you think of the page before i before i give away all the the zelo ratings what do you think that zelo is going to say about the the patriots wide receiver picture
1: i think that the zelo is going to kind of show what i have kind of thought about the patriots for a long time now is that yes they have some offensive pieces and yes they're going to score points but it's going to be primarily a defensive team like This team is never really built, especially with Bill Belichick being such a defensive mind. This team was never built to kind of win the shootout. It's always been kind of built to... Stop the shootout. Yeah, it's like stop it. Like It's supposed (laughs) to keep the other team from scoring a lot of points. So even though our offense is maybe mediocre or above average, it doesn't have to be anything exceptional. and, And kind of looking at their depth chart of who they have... They have some names, they have some guys that can put up numbers, but they don't have any, like, absolutely dominant league-ending guys.
0: Yeah, so I'll give you the top four Patriots wide receivers, and just, you know, for those of you in the audience who maybe don't follow the NFL, like, this lineup... You know, isn't going to sound interesting, but I think for those of you who follow this lineup, you're going to go, "Oh, that's not a that's not an intimidating lineup." So, their number one wide receiver is Jacoby Myers. He's a, just shy of a 50 point wide receiver. Next is Kendrick Bourne, so he'll be a just b- above 30 wide receiver. As will Devonte Parker, and the Nelson Aguilar rounds out the the top four as a 20 point wide receiver. So, not nearly as intimidating, I think, as the Dolphins are on paper. Now if there's anyone who I would expect to exceed these projections, it's Bill Belichick. I think he'll get the most out of his players. But you look at Hunter Henry, he is the the best pass catcher, I think, arguably, uh, uh, of the Patriots option, though. He doesn't rank the highest. He ranks as just at 41, but considering that how good a 41 is as a tight end versus a like a 47 is as a wide receiver, I would expect Hunter Henry to to be the best pass catcher option on this team and i think that's really saying something about kind of like like tony talks about where the bills just are not an offensive team and and the one thing that has eluded bill belichick apparently the one thing he cannot draft the one place where he cannot find value where in a sport where everybody's trying to find just any extra centimeter of value that can be exploited at any market inefficiency the one thing bill belichick cannot do is find wide receivers in the
1: draft right and just kind of almost to add insult to injury to kind of this Patriots wide receiving core. If you look on ESPN at the Patriots depth chart, the wide receiver one that is currently listed is Devontae Parker. And if you look at his regular season stats from last year, he only had 40 receptions for 515 yards and two total touchdowns. So this is not a team that was really built to throw, but kind of on the other side of that, if you look at, oh, okay, well the team's not really built to throw, that's whatever. That means that they can run, right? Not really. I mean, they have – they have Damian Harris, who I think is a pretty solid running back, but he was he kind of got buffed with his stats because he was just given a lot of attempts. He had over 200 attempts last year for just under a thousand yards, which is a 4.6 yards per attempt average, which isn't terrible. That's pretty good. Uh, it's it's pretty you know maybe a little bit above average, but nothing too criminal crazy. He did have 15 touchdowns, but he did get a lot of ground and pound time and like the inside of the five yard line. So Mm -hmm. I think that he is probably their most explosive player stats wise. Uh, But in today's NFL, that's working less and less. You really need to have some, some weapons that you can throw to. If you only have a run game, then teams are really going to not find it that difficult to stop you.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. So um, to, to, to wrap up the AFC East, here's, here's my question to you, Tony, and I have my answer. Of the two quarterbacks, Tua and Mac Jones, Mac Jones is in his second year, Tua is in his third year, which quarterback are you? would you pick as the, the quarterback you're going to build your franchise around? Be- and which quarterback, then as a follow-up, is going to do better this season?
1: Ooh, quarterback to build my franchise around? I'm going to have to go Tua. I think that Mac Jones is like, he's the safer pick, right? Like, he's the guy that can do... A lot of the dink and dunk passes, stuff like that. He's not really got too much of a cannon. He can throw it a little bit when he needs to. But We also haven't really seen what he can do with elite receivers. I think I'm going to go with Tua, even though there's a little bit of skepticism around him. I kind of like him. I don't see any reason to be alarmed with him. The quarterback that I think is going to do better, I'm going to have to say Tua again. He's got all of the weapons. He's got a coach that is a lot more open to passing. Bill Belichick, like pretty much like every other year of his career is probably going to do a little bit more ground and pound Damian Harris, wherever he can, wherever he can get a run in there. He thinks it's a better, a decent chance that he could gain even a little bit of yardage. I think he's going to do it. So I think Mac Jones stat wise is going to suffer because of that. And I like Tua.
0: Yeah, no. So I, this is going to be a boring show because we're going to agree on both, both premises. I definitely would take Tua uh, to build my franchise around because I feel like maybe Mac has the lower, low, the higher floor, but the lower ceiling. Whereas Tua probably has the, the lower floor and the higher ceiling, and so I feel like Tua can can develop into more. And the biggest thing that the Dolphins can do is protect him, like just keep him safe. Um, I, I know that he's kind of right now has like a bit of a a game manager kind of vibe to him because the the big determiner for Dolphins wins was that defense. But I'm expecting Tua to turn it around. I think he needs one better weapons. Got him. Now he just needs a better offensive line, and we'll see how that kind of improves in the season. And yeah, I think statistically also Tua is going to do better because uh, Tony. How many times did the Patriots run in the Patriots Bills game? It was what 43 times.
1: Yeah, it was something ridiculous. Mac Matt, Matt Jones only had like seven attempts, five attempts in the entire game. No, it was three. I think it was three. It was just three. I couldn't remember exactly what it was, but I knew it was low.
0: I mean, that, was that not an just incre- an incredible game to watch?
1: It was incredibly boring.
0: No, I loved it. That was a football nerd game. Like You had to be a real football nerd, I think, to, to watch that game and just appreciate the art, almost, of what the Patriots were doing.
1: Yeah, the art of running it falling down every three yards and getting up and no, running.
0: Again. No, the, no, no, no. The art of how the Patriots built a living time machine.
1: Yeah, I was a living time <laughs> machine in that. I now realize that I am real glad I live in this era of the NFL.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's a different era. That's uh, the, the Patriots teleported us back to a different era with Mac Jones, like, passing three times and completing once. <laughs> um, okay, so what division do you want to move on to next now that we have spent – half the episode talking about one division
1: let's move on to the AFC North and probably pick up the pace a little bit now
0: yeah I think the AFC North will be a quicker one so the So right now, Zelo currently has... This is being essentially a three-way tie for the division. Now, it currently has the Browns with a 37% chance to win the division, then the Ravens with a 33% chance, and the Bengals with a 28% chance, and then kind of limping in there as the Steelers with like a 3% chance or 2% chance, depending on the simulation. So... Discount the Steelers. It's a rebuild year. I think this is my hot take of the episode, which maybe isn't that much of a hot take, Is this is the year that, that Mike Tomlin doesn't get to 500, because he's kept that 500 streak alive his entire head coaching career, I believe. This is the year that it just not is not happening. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, it's not going to happen. The Cleveland Browns picking up Deshaun Watson, even if he gets suspended for, let's say, six games. That's... It matters, but I don't think that the Steelers are even going to be good enough to, if the Browns were to lose all six of those games, I don't think the Steelers are good enough to, like, even keep pace with the Browns the rest of the way. So I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to 100% be last place in this division. They're not going to break 500. From there, everything is so close. With last year, this whole division was only two games apart from top to bottom. The Bengals had 10 wins, then the Steelers had nine, and then the Browns, had, uh, Browns and Ravens both had nine. So... I think that the Browns got better. I still am kind of a little bit skeptical on the Ravens. I don't believe in Lamar Jackson uh, even a little bit. So I do think that this team might... the. I think the Ravens might end up being third place in the division, which isn't necessarily a bad thing with how close everything is going to be. They could be first or third in the, pretty much the flip of a coin in overtime, really. So I think that I'm going to go with... The Bengals to win it again this year. Not because I think the Bengals are going to be super dominant. I think they're going to have another kind of 10-7 and seven year. I just think that the Bengals are actually going to be good enough to keep up with a Browns team uh, that's going to lose to Sean Watson for probably 6-8 to eight games.
0: Yeah, so I mean if you go with my 8-game my prediction that I still feel really good about. So looking at the Browns first game, they currently have a 60% chance to win. Now that's against the Panthers. So I understand why. Now, this is, of course, with Deshaun missing. This is with, I believe, Jacoby Brissett because ESPN is not projecting Baker Mayfield to play a single game this season for the Browns. So they're favored in that one. And then in week two, they'll play the Jets. Where they are are favored in that one as well. Uh, about, you know, a sixty percent chance of winning that. It's the Jets. I again, like, I I get why. <laughs> so the Browns actually are interestingly enough, they open up with two very cupcake games, which I think is going to help them. And then they play the Steelers in week three. So, you know, that that one they are strongly favored in. And again, it's another opponent that I don't anticipate being very good. And then in week four they played the Falcons. And then in week five They play the Chargers. That's the first game where they're not favored to win. They are, they're a toss up with the Falcons, granted, but the first game where they are truly expected to lose would be against the Chargers. And then against the Patriots with, again, with Brissett in, they're slightly favored to win, not a ton. And I, I'm skeptical about that one. And I think part of it is that, you know, the, the way the model is functioning without, without Watson in is that Brissett, um, is, you know, he he does a little bit better because he's expected to play fewer games. If he played a, the entire course of the season, he wouldn't look as good. Um and then they play the Ravens in week 7 where they are definitely not favored to win and in week 8 they play the Bengals where they are slightly favored to win. So through that uh, I would anticipate they would go 4 and 4. Does that sound fair, Tony?
1: That sounds about right.
0: Yeah. So if the Browns can just go 4 and 4, I really do think that like this that it'll be the Browns that win. Now, granted, this is, of course, assuming kind of the worst in the suspension. I don't think the suspension will exceed eight games. But after you after you look through those games, you put Deshaun Watson back in, and it looks a little bit different. So going into Week 10, it's, their, it's the week after their bye, because they have a bye in Week 9. They'll play the Dolphins, where they are slightly favored to win that one. And then they'll play uh, the Bills, which they are, are not favored to win, even with Deshaun. And then they then they'll play the Buccaneers, not favored to win even with Deshaun, which I think is interesting. And then you go to week fourteen, uh, uh, week thirteen, excuse me, they'll play the Texans, where they're heavily favored to win. Then they'll play in week fourteen, uh, and they'll play the Bengals, so they're they're not favored to win that one. I believe they're on the road for that one. And then at home in week fifteen, they'll play the Ravens, where they are slightly favored to win, and then ever so slightly favored to win against the Saints. And then uh, in, in Week 16, they'll be playing the Commanders, so they're favored to win that one, and then they'll close out their season by playing the Steelers. So I reasonably expect the Browns, assuming they go 4-4, four and four, which maybe 4-4 four and four is a little bit aggressive in that early window, I would expect the Browns to put together a 10-7 and seven season.
1: Yep, which is sitting right about where I kind of think the Bengals are going to do. Uh, I think that they could... They could potentially start it a little bit hotter than they did last year. They lost a couple unlucky ones. One that immediately comes to mind is the Packers game where both kickers missed about 750,000 field goals apiece. So I do think that there's a couple games that could have fallen uh, the right way for them, and they could be maybe 11-6, and six, maybe even 12-5 and five if they get lucky. So I do think that the Bengals are going to narrowly pull out this one, but realistically, I could see the Browns doing it as well.
0: Yeah, and what helps that idea is that the the Browns, I believe, play the Bengals incredibly early on in the season, and that, you know, you know, going down to tie head-to-head tiebreakers, that is not an insignificant fact. Again, you know, assuming assuming Deshaun takes that eight week suspension, the fact that there is a Bengals game early on, and then the Bengals play in the back half at home against the Browns, I honestly think that that, that could just be the difference, is that the, B- the Browns' best chance to beat the Bengals at home is in that where I would anticipate Deshaun is being suspended, and then in the ba- in the second half of the season, they play the Bengals on the road.
1: Yeah, especially when the Bengals, like the last year when we saw them, they started off slow and then ended up really, really, really hot. So that could be very, very concerning to any team that plays the Bengals down the stretch if they continue on that kind of similar line where they find their midseason form and continue to just get better from there.
0: Yeah, now how good do we feel about 4-4 four and four with Jacoby Brissett? Because I don't feel good.
1: I mean, I don't I don't see why Baker doesn't play.
0: I think Baker doesn't play because Baker's not interested in playing. I don't think it's a problem if Baker physically can't play. And if anything, Baker probably gives them the better... I mean, obviously, Baker gives them the better chance to win. But I just don't think he's interested in playing. I think he's going to, to try to sit out and try to force a trade.
1: I don't... I don't think so. I think he's too much of a just a legitimate competitor that wants to play. And if he's not traded by the time the season starts, he knows he's got a chance. He could really prove—I mean, if he plays out of his mind and he's finally healthy, they're not going to start Deshaun. And if, if they do, they're going to get trade offers out of the like wazoo. So either—it doesn't make sense for him to not play because his value right now is pretty low. No team really wants him because he's been injured but if he can prove himself, either A, he's going to start, or B, he's going to get traded. So it doesn't make sense for him to sit out.
0: I feel like the problem with that analysis, though, is that, yes, Baker is a competitor, but the problem with being a competitor is that, let's face it, he knows that essentially before the, the game has even begun, he's already lost. Because like you said, he, regardless of what happens, he's probably going to be... to be.
1: Tom, you there? I think we lost you. Tom, I think we got some technical difficulties. Wi Fi outage, potentially? Oh no, this is not good. Tom, we need you back here, boss. You got Zelo. (laughs) I can't do a Zelo episode without you. Wow, this is a long one. It's not usually like this. Have you tried turning it off and turning it back on again?
0: Yeah, sorry. I don't know where I went. I went to go check something to. To see, there was there was an article I wanted to reference for a point about Baker, and so I went to look at it on my phone. I'm sorry, I don't know where I went. Uh, what was the last thing you guys heard?
1: Uh, the last thing we heard is, yes, he's a competitor, but no matter what, he knows he's going to lose, and then we lost him.
0: Okay, so yes, so Baker is a competitor, but here's the problem: if you're a competitor, you already know you're going to lose. Like, like when when you were a kid, Tony, did you play your dad in any sports? Uh, yes. Yeah, did you ever win any sports against your dad? Uh, not for a while. Yeah, so my childhood sport that I played with my dad was foosball. And I love playing my dad in foosball until it got to the point where I just had been beaten. And I knew as soon as I was going to play foosball, it was kind of a losing proposition. And so the only thing that could really happen is because I knew there was no way I was beating my dad. My dad was not going to let me win. It's like a rite of passage to beat your dad in foosball, I feel like. Um, or maybe that's just my family. But the at some point, like I was like, the only thing that's going to happen here is I'm going to lose. And if I if I do play and I lose, it could be really bad. Maybe I don't really want to play. And so... You know, my my point to that is why would Baker want to play a game where he's going to lose? And I think realistically, the only thing he can do is hurt his, his, his trade
1: capital. I don't think he can hurt it any more than it's already been hurt. Like, the reason that teams probably aren't really going after him is because the last thing that we saw was him trying to play a season where he was injured. So, yes, on the one hand, you all you have oh, well, he's he was injured this past year. That means that he has an injury potential problem for uh, re-hurting himself. And then secondly, on top of that, he played poorly. If you just look at his box score, and yes, we can attribute that to he was injured, but he still played poorly. Like the last thing we saw from him was not very good. So his his trade value right now is extremely low. I don't think he can hurt it any more than it's at, and that's why he hasn't been traded. So let's say he does play, and he plays out of his mind. The Browns changed their mind. Now they keep him as a starter because why would you stop playing your guy that's absolutely on fire? If he plays decently well, which I expect mm-hmm. him to play better than he did last year pretty much no matter what, then at that point other teams are going to see, okay, well now he's not injured. He just played six games. Even if he played back to what he was doing before he got injured and was healthy, which was you know pretty decent, above average, nothing crazy, but good enough to be traded then he'll start getting trade offers then the Browns will finally let him go like I don't see a downside to playing whereas I don't see an upside to just sitting on the bench where no team's ever gonna want you
0: but how about this so how about I I pitch you this idea so right now I know you were saying like yeah we saw the last time we saw Baker he was injured and he did not look good and he did not look worth trading for um but what if i told you like if if you're a league executive and you said okay baker doesn't look great but i can clearly say he was injured the last time he was not injured he did this and point to you know the, b- before the drop off and then he comes back and he, now he's healthy like if i'm one if i'm a league executive yeah i want to see him play right so like if he plays good then i can get an analysis and if he doesn't play great but now he's healthy i think he's just not worth trading for so that's why i feel like Like, he's not, like, why he can hurt, he can really only hurt his trade value. Like, how much better do you think he needs to play to improve his trade value? I don't see him improving his trade value, and I see he can only hurt it. And plus, I think even if he does play incredibly well, it probably doesn't increase his trade value, because the NFL is just going to go, well, he has to get traded, because now they have two quarterbacks on their team. So, good luck with that, Browns. You're going to have to sell it him,
1: you know, for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, but the Baker doesn't care about the Browns. He doesn't care about what they're gonna have to do to get rid of him. He just wants out. I and think I really don't think I, I, I don't think that there's like anything I mean, I know we you're kind of like alluding to well if he if he doesn't play particularly great, he's hurting his trade value. No team wants him. That's literally the worst case scenario. There is nothing worse than where he's at in his mind right now of being stuck on the bench of a team you hate. So I mean, he's kind of like, a well, I don't really care anymore. I have to do something because if no team wants me now, I mean, that is kind of the bare, that's kind of the rock bottom. Like, you can only go up from here in my mind. Or you
0: sit on the bench,
1: you collect a $25
0: million paycheck, and then in the offseason, you are the sexiest option for a free agent pickup.
1: Eh, I mean, I don't think he wants to wait a year. He's way too competitive to want to just sit out that long.
0: I mean, I think it's a health thing. Like if he's going to get paid and he's going to just have an uh, have a year to get healthy, like I don't know. I I think that there's upside to I think if if I'm Baker, I'm not going to play. Because one, I'm I, maybe I'm just more Tony, you may be a more forgiving person than I am because I'd be really I, I'd be really petty. So if this is if if this situation I'm Baker and I'm dating the Browns and the Browns dump me for the the new girl in school, the hot girl at school. And then the Browns are like, you know what? Like, uh, you know what? I, I can't, I actually, I want to stay with you because we have all our classes together.
1: I'm not interested in, in dating the Browns again. I, I don't think he likes it. I don't think he wants to be there. I don't think he would be comfortable sitting on the bench watching Deshaun Watson who came in and stole his job and just watching him on the sideline, pretending and cheer him on. I think he wants to do whatever he can to get out of there.
0: Well, we'll we'll have to wait and see, but I do think... I feel like the end of this is, if the Browns can go 500 with Jacoby Brissett, which, mind you, is a huge if. I feel like saying that they're going to go 500 with Jacoby Brissett is incredibly generous to Jacoby Brissett. Then, I think the Browns will win. If not, I'm going to take the Ravens, because unlike Tony... I'm going all in on Lamar Jackson this season if he can stay healthy also a big if another big if that is incredibly generous all right let's move on we have we have two divisions to talk about in about fifteen minutes, maybe 20 minutes uh, so yeah let's do this as, let's do this at light speed um do you, which one do you want to do Tony do you want to do the AFC West because I feel like it's a little bit easier or do you want to do the AFC South which will probably take 30 30 minutes Let's do the West. Okay, let's do the last. So obviously the, the big storyline that I want to touch on is, is about the Chiefs. And as we've kind of talked about the Dolphins gaining Tyreek Hill, somebody had to lose Tyreek Hill for the Dolphins to gain Tyreek Hill. And that, of course, is the Kansas City Chiefs. So right now, looking at Zillow, Zelo currently has the Chiefs as one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl, which is not something I had because I figured the loss of Tyreek Hill was really going to hurt the Chiefs because he's such a dynamic weapon. But instead, Zillow kind of has the, the Chiefs doing a – I guess Tyreek Hill's work by committee, right? They're essentially going to do it with, with of course, Travis Kelsey, which will be one of the best tight ends, again, in all of football. He's currently valued at 71 points, which is off the charts for a tight end. And then the Chiefs wide receiving core will be Mel- Malcolm Hardman. He's a 50-point wide receiver. Juju Smith-Schuster is also a 50-point uh, wide receiver. And then Sky Moore, a drafted rookie, is also a 50-point ro- wide receiver. And then uh, M- MVS, Tony's favorite, who I feel like he's also hurt by the fact that he left the Packers, is a 40-point wide receiver. And if you have MVS as your fourth-best wide receiver, you're probably doing okay with your wide receiving core.
1: Yeah, I'm really not worried about this team. Losing Tyreek Hill, like, that's great and all. But in the first half of the season, this is something that we've talked about many times. Yeah, sure, Patrick Mahomes had a lot of picks. If you go and look at the highlight reel, a lot of those picks were through the hands of Tyreek Hill. So I do think that, you know, it's not going to be, like oh Tyreek Hill left we're a better team now I don't think it's that but I think that Tyreek Hill is a little bit overhyped and I am I am excited to see what Patrick Mahomes can do with with the other very solid receivers he has around him
0: yeah no for sure I think that I think that that and that's what I find particularly to be interesting is the fact that the Chiefs really are able to get this done without Tyreek Hill and I just feel like one, I think that this is essentially the X's and O's solution that the Chiefs have offered up. They said, okay, we've kind of been beat with the two high shells. We can we can work around them with Tyreek Hill and pay him an insane amount of money, which I, I maintain that they did not want to pay him a lo- the, the, the amount of money that the Dolphins ended up paying him, which is why they traded him. Um, but two, I think that it almost addition by subtraction, right? Um, so I think what happened is with four wide receivers, four dynamic wide receivers, or three dynamic wide receivers, how many dynamic wide receivers you want to say they have, plus Travis Kelsey, Mahomes is guaranteed, I think, what, four targets on every single play? Now, maybe you don't want to throw to Clyde Edwards-Hillair. I kind of get that one because that guy trending towards fumble machine, if we're being honest. Um, But they're going to have more options than I feel like they did last year, where I just feel like they just didn't have a lot of options. And so the Chiefs have decided, okay, Instead of going all in on two really good options, we're just going to spread the love to four different people that are all going to look kind of the same um, from a box score perspective.
1: Yeah, which I definitely think is a more sustainable way to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's not it's not hinging on Tyreek Hill's speed. Yeah. Well, and as we know, he's not the fastest guy in the NFL, right? <laughs> no, no, he's
1: not the fastest guy in his own team anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love that. It's such a, well, there was somebody who went just a little bit faster than you. Third fastest guy in the NFL. Yep. Gotcha. You're not the cheat anymore. Um, so here, here's my question to you, because I feel like the solution for the Chiefs offense is fairly transparent. If you and I are sitting in our basements with our tinfoil hats on and kind of figuring it out, is the Chiefs defense going to hold them back? Because currently they're ranked 13th in the AFC um, and in 24th in the NFL overall by Zilo's defensive projections, is that concerning? It's the lion's defense.
1: <laughs> I, I think it is concerning, but I think unlike the lions, they do have like quite a bit of, uh, I'd say quite a bit of like almost room to compensate. Cause on the offensive side, they are obviously going to score a ton of points. It's almost like the opposite of Patriots. Patriots don't let you score a lot of points, but they also don't score a ton of points either. This team scores a ton of points and is like, "All right, come on, shoot out with us. Let's see who wins." Uh, and I do think that Zelo does go off of projections, and sure, that's all good and fine and dandy. And Zelo is not very high in the Chiefs. Looking at lineups, though, the Chiefs had a top ten defense last year. Overall, by the end of the year, there was some red area. For I sure. think
0: Zelo liked them a lot last year, but I think it was the departure of of Matthew that really has kind of hurt them.
1: Yeah, I I get I get that they've hurt. They've been hurt in that regard. I expect them to drop. I don't think they're a top five defense, maybe not a top 10. But I think that they're top half of the league. And I think that's good enough to with that offense really get a winning uh, a lot of wins in for this season. I don't think the defense has to be anything elite. They just kind of have to be semi above average.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think, and that, that obviously is the question. Now, I think Zelo is going off of the fact that, like, the holistic look at the Chiefs. The Chiefs' defense was not great for maybe the first half of the season, and then when the Chiefs kind of seemed to get right almost, they really clamped down and became a much better defense. And so I think that last season, Zelo was kind of holding that against them. This season, and of course, I, I think the one thing that Tony always kind of criticized about Zelo is that it's so turnover-dependent, and the, the Chiefs are just not going to, generate a lot of turnovers they're not going to generate a lot of interceptions for example and they're not going to generate a lot of sacks in fact they may be one of the low potentially they have the potential to be one of the lowest sacking teams in the nfl it's 28.4 sacks potentially um, so they're just, they're not going to be the dynamic force that I think that they were kind of towards the end of the season where they can really apply pressure defensively. And I, so they're going to be a very offensive heavy team, which doesn't surprise me. I feel like this is, we could call this the Russell Wilson effect. It's a theory that I put out, uh, uh when we started doing the show where I said, Russell Wilson was an elite, cheap, young talent when the Seahawks were good. The Seahawks went all in on their defense and got him some weapons on offense. And they said, hey, Russ, just don't mess this up. And then Russell got them got them to Super Bowls and won a Super Bowl. And then his rookie contract ended. He got really expensive, and the Seahawks had to cut back on the defense. And now they're just a very offensive-heavy team. And so I feel like we're kind of starting to see some of the – the Chiefs are still in their window. I'm definitely not knocking that, but we're starting to see the, the almost the – the the QB contract, the QB rookie contract effect end.
1: Yeah, I definitely. So like, they're they're ending their their window f- sooner than a lot of people think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I don't think that this is like the last year the Chiefs are going to be good or anything, but I do think that like you know, obviously the 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 the, the window has always been and always will be in the modern NFL your QB rookie contract. It's a heck of a theory. Yeah, I mean, I stand by it. That's why the Chargers is going to the Super Bowl this year. What did I say? Oh, I say that? Okay, let's move on. Um, (laughs) So my question to you, Tony, is for the AFC South, are the Colts going to be, because the last team to do it was the Commanders, I believe, two years ago when the Buccaneers won a Super Bowl. Um, They had to go on the road and play the Commanders, who had, well, I guess then they were the Washington football team. But the Washington football team was a team that – had a losing record, but somehow managed to win their division because the NFC East decided to be the NFC least and just be a dumpster fire of teams. So my question to you is right now, Zillow has the Colts doing that exact same thing, having a losing record, but winning their division. Does, do you see that kind of repeating again? And, or do you buy, are you, have you bought into the Colts a little bit? Because last time we talked, I was higher on the Colts than you
1: were. I, I don't know. Cause a lot of the, I think the Colts could be a really pretty good team i think they have a fairly underrated wide receiving core uh and that's kind of a weird thing to say but tom and i are kind of talking talking about the colts and looking at the colts a little bit more in depth uh and just kind of seeing what we could figure out about them and we actually found that though none of their guys are really put have really put up that elite of numbers they've all pretty consistently gotten better and they're all fairly young so they all have the potential to make a jump to a fairly reputable level. And you know if the whole group makes a jump, a decent jump like they all seem to have over the past few years, they could become a really, really solid wide receiving core, especially uh, Mo'Ally Cox, as well as one that we talked about, who in the box score hasn't necessarily put up the best stats, but seems like he has a whole lot of potential to in the coming uh, year or two with the addition of Matt Ryan who I don't think is really going to be much different from Carson Wentz but Tom is a whole lot higher on him than I am, much higher. The Colts could be a pretty decent team. And I think that it's going to very it's going to benefit them a lot. The Titans have pretty greatly regressed in this offseason, I think.
0: Yeah, so I mean obviously they traded their their star receiver in Brown and they did not bring back uh Julio Jones and Derrick Henry is injured and would seem to be I mean, let's face it, uh, Bill Barnwell did an article on on Derrick Henry's potential return to form this year. And he said, look, after such a catastrophic injury, the playoff Derrick Henry is probably closer to the Derrick Henry that we're going to see. He expects him to still be dominant, but it's going to be dominance through, and as Tony pointed out last season, just having an insane amount of carries. Like, he's going to have a very high usage rate. So I think that the Titans on offense— probably not going to be good. It's the whole reason, like, look, Tannehill is not going to have a lot of help, and as the Miami Dolphins found out when they drafted Tannehill all those years ago, Tannehill kind of needs situations to be great, to be good, and so without his situation now being great, Tannehill will probably not be nearly as good. I don't think that anybody is really buying on the Titans' defense either, so I feel like this is the year that the Colts can win the division. Now, the only question is, you know, can can they get a winning record? And I I believe they can. I think that Matt Ryan may have to have an adjustment period, as all quarterbacks do in new systems. But I think if there's anyone who can adjust really well, it'll be a a savvy 37-year-old Matt Ryan who's a bit of a vet.
1: Yeah, I think this is a pretty easy division to look at overall. The Jags and the Texans are essentially out of the equation. And it really just comes down to, are the Titans or the Colts going to be better? I think that it could be the Colts. I think that it's kind of an underrated pick, especially being as out on Matt Ryan as I am. It's kind of weird that I'm picking the Colts, but I do think that their receiving core is good. Their O-line is certainly going to be better, I think, than it was last year. Their defense is very, very solid, and I think the Titans have regressed enough where the Colts can definitely take advantage of that and eat up that three-game uh, three game back, I guess. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Deficit? Yes, the three-game deficit they were facing last year, the Titans went 12-5, and and the Colts were back there at 9-8. and uh, I think that it was enough that the Colts can take advantage of that. And while I don't think that the Colts are going to win the division uh, below 500, I do think that they are going to win the division.
0: Yeah, and Tony, because I know you're a huge point differential guy, the Colts had a point differential of 86. The Titans had a point differential of 65.
1: I saw that. Uh, I do think that that is a reason for optimism, especially since the Titans have clearly regressed. We could see a negative point differential for the Titans this year.
0: Oh, it would, not sh- it would not surprise me in the least. Yeah, neither. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, so, you know, I know you're not a huge Matt Ryan guy and you think that Matt Ryan is essentially going to be the same as Carson Wentz. Who do you think
1: has the higher Z-Low, just out of curiosity? Matt Ryan or Carson Wentz overall higher z Um I think Matt Ryan's going to have the higher Z-Low cuz he's got so much of a better team around him.
0: Yeah, so Carson Wentz is a peer passer, he'll have 127 and Matt Ryan is a peer passer, he'll have 136.
1: Yeah, so it's I mean it's it's pretty close.
0: No, for sure. I mean it's def- it's definitely really close. And now granted, I think that Um, currently I'm probably a little bit too high on sacks just because, um, you know, I don't know, I, I cannot find good sack projections anywhere. And I feel like 30 sacks is too high for the Colts offensive line to give up, which will boost, uh, Ryan's pure passer rating significantly. Whereas I feel like the, the Commanders' sacks are pretty good because I don't feel like the commanders have a great offensive line, but yeah, I mean, I think that. I think it's fair to say that the, the Colts with Matt Ryan, I expect Matt Ryan, like you were kind of talking about, Pittman to, to elevate Pittman and Campbell significantly. So Pittman currently is projected to be a 64 Zelo wide receiver. That's really good. In fact, I believe it's top 15 in the NFL right now. And Alex Pierce, they, the, the Colts did draft a rookie wide receiver who I'm also expecting to be fairly good. He's got a 40 Zelo and Paris Campbell will be a 20. So not, a great wide receiving core but i definitely think an up-and-coming wide receiver core that with a veteran like matt matt ryan he can really coach them
1: to be a good team he can definitely bring some much appreciated leadership into that room that i will admit
0: uh, so are we taking the colts over 500 or are we taking the colts under 500 because you can't be 500 anymore not oh, in the Col- new nfl Colts colts over oh yeah yeah, I'll go Colt over too, and it was never really a question for me. I was just curious if I could get Tony on board. Welcome to uh welcome to the Colt the Colt family, Tony. Thank the you. The Colt. Really. The Colt? I don't know. There's a there's a Colt 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 joke in there somewhere. You guys can figure it out. <laughs> All right, so thanks for the show, everybody. We probably spent a little bit too much time talking about Tua. Um, next time when we come back, we're going to do our AFC East Deep Dive, so we'll talk even more about Tua, and it'll be great. Maybe instead of that, what we'll do is we'll just replay this segment in that episode because we talked about Tua so much.
1: Yeah, I feel like it would work. <laughs> yeah, it
0: probably would. But thanks for tuning in, guys, and we'll, we'll see you next time for our AFC East Deep D- deep dive. Remember, if you're not on call and you want to come hang out with us, please do, because during the deep dives, I hope to take uh, questions from fans of the show. It'll be a lot of fun. And um, if you if you really hate the, the Dolphins, I don't know, but if you're a Jets fan, you really hate the Dolphins, <laughs> um, then you can come in and talk smack about the Dolphins and wh- why you think Zach Wilson's going to do really well if you're that deluded. But thanks for tuning in, guys. Later, guys.